You know, some years back, I, uh, my niece came to visit us, and we were having a great conversation just about what's going on in her life, and we started having some spiritual conversations as well, and she said, you know, Uncle Tyler, it's, 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 it's really hard to be a Christian in the context of which I live in, and Back then, she was in graduate school in a public university where she was in the psychology department getting her graduate degree in music therapy. Now, if there's a place where people are like super fired up to talk about Jesus, super fired up to learn about Jesus, super fired up to worship Jesus, it's probably not in a secular university in the psychology department. And so she felt kind of that tension of being a Christian in her where she was doing her, her studying. And I said to her, I said, you know what? Here's the thing. Just, this is what I want you to know. Just at the very basic level, this is what I want you to know. You never have to be ashamed of somebody who loves you. Amen. You never have to be ashamed of somebody who knows everything about you and still deeply cares about you. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody like that. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody who you know, uh, push you out of the way on, on oncoming traffic and took the hit in order to save your life because they love you. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody like that. And that is Jesus. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody who's the kindest person that you will ever meet. You'll never, you never need to be ashamed of somebody who will always loves you and wants to have a relationship with you forever. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody who died for you. That's kind of the big idea of this, this talk here is we're kind of still talking about shame. In a few weeks, we've been talking about the shame that we feel when we mess up. The shame that we feel when we just don't feel like we, we meet expectations, our expectations, other people's expectations. And we've talked about, you know, how Jesus Christ and his blood covers us and covers our shame so we can be free people. Well, today we're going to talk about the shame that is increasingly comes in our culture of being identified with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I think that just kind of thinking about, um, especially those of you who've lived on this planet a little bit longer, you've probably seen the shift in our culture. There was a time where you kind of felt ashamed that you didn't go to church because everybody was going to church. And then there was a time where, you know, most people still went to church, but uh, you know what? And we, we go to church in order to be good people and our kids go to church for them to be good people. But we really don't want you to be like those, you know, Jesus freaks. And now in our culture, it's like, well, let's just not even really talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Christianity. In fact, you know, feeling a little bit of shame that, you know, identifying ourselves as a Christian. And that's becoming increasingly so in our own culture. Let me just ask you a few questions. First of all, do you feel the sense of freedom? I mean, just the sense of freedom to be able just to have like a Bible on your desk at work or a Bible at, on your desk at school. Do you feel any kind of sense of, you know, embarrassment or you kind of feel a little bit kind of weird and kind of like pull back a little bit on like people seeing that you read the Bible? You know, I'm not talking about, you know, like being a Bible thumper and that sort of thing, but just having the, the freedom. That, you know what, you like reading this Bible, and you like God, and so you got 15-minute break at work, and so you have this sense of freedom that you just kind of open up your Bible and you read, but maybe you don't because that feels weird in that setting. Do you like pray at home, and you know, you pray to the Lord and for your meal, and thank God, and all that, and then you go out in public, and you're at a restaurant, and it just kind of feels weird, and you just don't want to 
pray in public because you know what people may be thinking. So you kind of kind of kind of move back, shrink back on that. You ever been in a conversation with other people? And it's not even necessarily a contentious conversation. Maybe just a conversation that begins to kind of steer its way towards spiritual things and and you feel a little hesitation to kind of, you know, be a part of the conversation, maybe kind of shy away from it, or even just mentioning Jesus. Have you ever been in a place where maybe somebody's even asked you about, you know, wow, you're just such a really nice person and kind person, and you kind of roll with that, but you never really tell them that really, honestly, the reason why I'm kind is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Not being preachy or anything, but just being open and honest about where that life change in your life came from. Kind of hold back. I think all of us, probably some degrees or another, have felt this kind of sense of shame or embarrassment of being identified with Jesus Christ. But the hope is, is that we would walk away from here and, and go, wait a minute, I don't need to be ashamed of the one who loves me so much who died for me. Amen. There's two things I don't want us to walk away from. I don't want us to walk away from here and, 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 and be in fear, in trepidation of who you are as a child of the living God. At the same time, I don't want you to get confused and think that we need to go up there, out here, and just be angry people and go, I don't care if people think that I'm Christian. If they, you know, if they have a problem with it, they can just stick it up there, you know what? I don't think that's what Christ intended either. I think what he really intended for us is to have this peaceful confidence. It's just who I am. I like Jesus. I think he's kind of neat. If you want to have a conversation, that's okay. Let's have a conversation. If you mock me, that's, uh, you know, I don't really like mocking too much, but I still like Jesus. I still think he's pretty, pretty great. And so it's to come to this place of peaceful confidence that you go, I'm thankful to be a daughter of God. I'm thankful to be the son of God, the son of God's. I'm thankful that he loves me. I'm not ashamed of somebody who loves me that much. I live my life in freedom of who I am in Christ. So we're going to look at an individual today. We're going to look at probably one of the most popular uh, Christians in history. There's probably two of them that you can kind of say. One of them might be Paul. The other one's this guy. His name is Simon. All right? Simon. Everybody knows Simon. Actually, you probably may not know Simon. You may know him by his nickname. It's not his real name. It's his nickname. Peter. Okay? Peter was a name that, that Jesus gave him, but he was born Simon, who was the son of John. That's how he grew up. And what we're going to kind of see in his life is this, this, he wasn't always the rock. He was this individual who, when he came to meet Jesus Christ, Jesus was becoming really popular. Uh, he was, his, his teachings were becoming popular. He had done some really funky, wild things that have really created this, this crowd. And that what you'll see is this, this young man who was probably just in his late teens, maybe early 20s who hooked his wagon to this movement that was really growing, this whole movement behind Jesus Christ. And then we'll see that he went through a period where he was kind of ashamed of Jesus, okay? Kind of pulled back from Jesus. A little worried that people would think that he was associated with him. And then you'll see that he'll come out of it. And how he came out of it, for, by which the rest of his life, he never once again lived a life of shame, being, of being identified with Jesus. And you're going to see... There was kind of a shift in the reasons for his movements in that. But I think at the end of this, hopefully it will give you a lot more confidence of just saying, I can live my life with peaceful confidence that I like Jesus. I think he's pretty awesome. I think he's pretty great. Okay? So, what we're going to see first and foremost, when when Peter, we'll go with Peter. When Peter uh, first met Jesus, uh, what you see is that he's just unashamed. 
He's unashamed of being a part of this winning movement. And early on in Jesus's ministry, it was a winning movement. And what you're going to see is just the same thing that we kind of do as well in our culture. We call it jumping on the bandwagon, right? You jump on the bandwagon when everything's, when, when somebody's uh, winning, when there's a movement that's gaining traction, we all jump in on that thing. And then what happens when that movement or our best, our favorite team begins to, you know, lose? We jump off the bandwagon. We are bandwagon kind of people. And sometimes we are bandwagon Christians as well. Christianity in the United States, it was predominant. It was the mover, the shaker. It's the way that we thought about life here in the United States. We all jumped in on that. And as it's beginning to become kind of the losing movement within our own culture, more and more people are kind of jumping off that bandwagon and jumping on to other things. And what we'll see here is that same kind of ebb and flow to Peter by which he got to a place in his life by which he decided for a particular reason why he decided that I'm never going to jump off this bandwagon ever again, irregardless of what goes on around me. And so to understand Peter's, to understand when he first met and first kind of came across Jesus, he had a couple of uh, interactions with him that we know of. Uh, we know that Jesus, like I said, his movement was beginning to, to grow. Uh, he was becoming a very popular uh, teacher. And so our, our looking at his life is going to begin here in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bible, once you flip over there, you can also get on the digital guide and see all those verses right there as well. Let me kind of set it up for you a little bit about what's going on. Jesus is teaching. Uh, people are starting to crowd in because, because of this popularity. I mean, world-class teaching right here. Everybody's coming. They're hearing about him. People are inviting people to come hear this guy named Jesus. It's beginning to get really uh, crowded. And so there were a couple of boats there. There were some fishermen out there. They're cleaning their, their uh, nets. And one of those guys was Simon, who P- Jesus later on gave him the name Peter. And his two colleagues with him, a guy named John and a guy named James. You probably have heard of those guys as well. And so their boats are there. And so uh, Jesus says, hey, you know, gets into Simon's boat that he owns and he begins to teach there because now he gives him, he's able to give him a little space and be able to talk to everybody. So he talks to everybody, has this great message and all of that. And then at the end of it, what we see is that Jesus makes this request of Simon. He says, Simon, I want you to go in. I want you to push out a little bit further out into the water and I want you to let down your nets. Okay. And so Peter kind of responds to this. It's like, okay, he says, Master, Luke was a Gentile. He became a Christian through Paul's ministry probably, what, 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And so when he writes his, his, his um, writings about Jesus' life, there's a lot of a, kind of a, a Greek kind of Roman Empire kind of feel to it. He uses the word master, which is the same word as, as we think of when you see in Bible, it's rabbi. He, he wouldn't use rabbi because he's not a Jew. Master is kind of more of a teacher deal. But he says, master, all right, teacher, respect you. But here's the deal. We worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing, all right? Now, one thing I know about a lot of you guys and knowing y'all pretty well, y'all do some really amazing and incredible stuff in your vocation. You know a lot of cool stuff, right? And you know me as the pastor guy. Now, if I were just to come up to you and give you and tell you, hey, this is what you're going to need to do on Monday morning at work, and this is how you're going to do it, you're probably going to say, <laughs> thanks, preacher man, but I think I, think I know what I'm doing, and uh, so why don't you go do what you do, and I'm going to go do what I do. But 
Peter and the gang, they have high respect for, um, for Jesus. And so they say, well, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. But if you say so, I'll let the nets, nets go down again. And probably most of you know what happens. In the very next verse, in verse 6, it says, And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And then everybody's like, whoa, the mother load. And so they all get in their boats. They're coming over here. They're pulling in those. I mean, just think about the dollar signs and what this means to, what, you know, what's coming. You know, as far as their prosperity and all that sort of stuff. They're bringing all of these things. And then, and then all of a sudden, it dawns on Peter. Holy crud. I've, I've never experienced any of this. This is wild. And then at the moment, he experienced something that none of us have ever experienced. And he's never, probably never experienced it to this degree before. And he, and he realizes who he's in the presence of, a holy man. Because this is only from God. And so Peter gets on his knees before Jesus. He says, oh, Lord. He ups it from master to Lord. Please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. This is a, this is a blue-collar fisherman doing what he does on the Sea of Galilee. And this holy man, this guy just comes along and, and he teaches in such a way that's so unique. And then all of a sudden he does something that makes Peter, Peter go, whoa, this is intimidating to be in the presence of somebody like this. This is a holy man. And I'm a sinner. By which... You know, Jesus goes on and, and he replies to him and he says this. He says to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. You're going to have influence in the life of people. You're going to be catching people. But it, let me tell you a little bit of foreshadow. It's really hard to catch people when you're ashamed of the one you're catching for. And it's hard to catch people when we're afraid of the fish. But he says, don't be afraid. For now on, you'll be fishing for people. And so as soon as they landed, okay, this was amazing. As soon as they landed, they sit there and said, man, this guy has power. This guy has teaching. I mean, it has, you know, teaching that's amazing. It's incredible. And so they say, all right, we're going to follow Jesus. And they do. They leave everything. They follow Jesus. For three years, these guys had a front row seat to world class, the world's best ever teaching. They had front row seats to see things that all of us would love to have seen. Okay? They were seeing things that nobody in human history has ever really truly seen. Yes, we've seen God move here and we've seen God move there and God has done some great things here. But man, for three years, man, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the leopards being free, shame, forgiven, all of these things, front row seats. The movement was growing. The movement was just incredible. Everybody was talking about Jesus, man. Everybody. And these guys are like following Jesus and like, we're part of this, man. How awesome is this? And there were times in that that we were feeling so confident about being on this bandwagon that they were even beginning to get some pride, right? When we jump on the bandwagon, don't we get prideful? Woo, our team is the best. Our team's the win. And you would see with the disciples, they were even arguing from time to time about who was the best in this movement. 
In fact, they were arguing about it all the way up until the last night that Jesus was arrested. They're bragging, man, we're part of this thing. You know, everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're like saying, yeah. And then Jesus does something that just kind of wrecks everything. He says to them that night before he was arrested, he kind of gives them a little window about what's going to happen. All right, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to be handed over and betrayed to the authorities. And they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. And they look at him and they go, <laughs> that's funny. We're going to win. We're on the winning team. This is the kingdom movement, man. We're ready to rock and roll. And so what we see Peter, Peter addresses Jesus. And he says to Jesus, he says, here's the deal, Jesus. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. I'm all in on this thing, man. We're, we're on the winning team. This movement is going to be epic. I will never leave you. I'll never desert you this. I am all in. One of the things I was thinking about when I was kind of reading this passage is it seems so true of me. I don't know if it is about you, but I always find that my, my future self is a lot more confident than my present self. Okay? Our future self. All right? Oh, I would never. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Sometimes when we read about the apostles and we think, oh, geez, I can't believe Peter denied them three times. What an idiot. What a moron for doing that. I can't believe that they're bragging about who's the best. Who does that? They're so dumb. You know, sometimes we kind of think that, oh, man, you know what? I would never do that until we get into that moment where we go, oh, I guess I would do that. So Peter's in that place. I would never leave you. You know, I will never desert you. And then Jesus says to Peter, he says this. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, rock. All right? Let me tell you the rock. and tell you some truth here. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you're not going to be so rockish. You're going to deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. In fact, he says emphatically, no way, no. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And the others vowed the same. And Jesus says, this very night, it's not just like you're going to f- slowly fade and find this movement's going to lose steam and you kind of drift off. No, 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 no. This very night, you're going to deny me. And the rest of them are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I never would do that. Uh-uh. Oh, no, never do that. But just hours later, something happens and everything just begins to rock. Jesus does get arrested and they're scared and they run away. They jump off the bandwagon. The movement looks like it's dying. In fact, what you see from Peter here is Peter then becomes ashamed. And Peter's ashamed to be a part of the dying movement. It's like, whoa. I don't know whether I want to be a part of this anymore. So they, they all kind of shrink back. They all fall away. Peter still kind of walks in a little distance. He follows uh, the soldiers where they take Jesus. They take Jesus to the house of the high priest, the high priest of Caiaphas and his dad, An- uh, uh, Annas, Ananias. And, um, and so he's in there kind of outside by a fire warming himself kind of watching what's going on with Jesus at their house. Now, it's important to just kind of keep that little piece in mind because it will, it will, it will play a little bit later in, Jesus, in, in Peter's life here. 
Okay, we'll connect the, the dots here about that. So he's at the high priest's house. He's outside. He's warming himself. And then now he's down in the courtyard, all right? And then one of the servant girls, right? One of the little girls is a servant girl. He comes up, you know, comes to the rock. Little servant girl, come to the rock. And who works for the high priest and came by and he notices Peter. He's kind of looking at him and saying, okay, Peter warming himself uh, at the fire. Now this is important. Just kind of keep that link there while Peter is at the fire. Because this will also link a little bit later to what Jesus does back into Peter's life. Kind of connect those two experiences in his life. But the servant girl, the little servant girl, she comes up to Peter and he says, looks at him closely and he says, you were were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth, little servant girl, by which Peter then denied it. Whoa, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. All right. So the, the rock feels ashamed, even to the point of denying Jesus to a, to a servant girl. So he kind of shrinks back here. And then what happens? What does he do? You know, there's a rooster crows, right? It happens, he denies him, a, you know, another time, that's twice. And then there was a third time that we know that he denied Jesus. Three different times people came up to him and said, hey, are you part of that? Nope. Hey, do you know him? Nope. Hey, aren't you part? Nope. And so verse 72, then at the third time, Jesus' words flashed through his mind. To what he just experienced a few hours ago. I would die for him. I would, I would never do that. I would never, ever, ever. I'm the rock. I would never do that. Well, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. He wept. Now, this is important because it kind of shifts in the way that I think it shifts in Peter's life and the way that he then moved out and lived his life of being a person who's unashamed of Jesus. See, everything I think is everything before that was tied into the movement, tied to being part of the winning team. And at this moment, his brokenness is really relational. That's the difference. It's relational. Remembering what Jesus would say, what he did, and breaking his heart and weeping of what that means to his relationship to Jesus. But here's the deal. And this is the good news. Jesus loved Peter anyways. Just like us. Jesus loved him anyways. So we know, obviously, from that, Jesus was... Taken, beaten, mocked, humiliated, all of these things. The movement looked like it was dying. Everybody was looking from who was part of Jesus, kind of stood back, you know, denying being part of that movement, maybe being ashamed of that movement because now it looks weak and just looks, you know, not so good. Jesus dies. Dies to cover the blood of the shame of the one who denied him three times. To die, to shed for his blood, to cover us with his blood for you and I in our shame. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And we know that there was a time where when Jesus rose from the dead, there was going to be an awkward moment when he comes and speaks to Peter, who denied him three times that he even knew him. You can imagine what those awkward relationships, we've all had them, what that would have been like. Well, we do know that a little bit, that 
Jesus said, you know, go tell the disciples and all that. And they, you know, had some interactions with Jesus. But they said to, he said to them, hey, you know what? Go tell everybody, go back to Galilee. And when you go back to Galilee, I'll meet you guys up in Galilee after he rose from the dead. All right? So the, he raises from the dead, go to Galilee. He goes to, they all go to Galilee just like Jesus had said. Now, one of the things we're going to look at John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, really what it is, it's almost all of Jesus' life in a nutshell, his, his ministry in a nutshell, okay? It's like cliff notes. Really what Jesus does is he says, all right, you know what? We went all through this. You all ran away and all that sort of stuff. So let's go back through it again. Now that I've risen from the Lord and I've forgiven you, and now that you're beginning to understand that this movement is really all about a relationship with me and my relationship with you. So they go up, they go to Galilee. It's a quiet morning. Fishermen do what fishermen do on a very nice, quiet morning. They go fishing. And so Simon Peter says to the gang, he says, hey, guys, here's the deal. I'm going fishing. Anybody want to come? Yeah, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they didn't, but they caught nothing all night. Does this sound familiar? Here we are, the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now we're here at, after he rose from the dead at the end, and they're going fishing. They didn't catch anything. And then there's some dude who's on the bank. They don't know who it is, just some guy sitting there going, hey, I got an idea. And you know, hey, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Well, here you go. Hey, I got an idea for you. Why don't you go out and throw your net out there? Try it again. Give it a shot again, right? right? The guy said, throw out your net on the right side, hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they kind of went, well, okay, why not? One more time. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And guess what they did? <gasps> Crud, that's Jesus. I mean, like mind bone. Boom, we've been here before. And so Peter jumps in the water. He's like, oh, it's Jesus. As he goes out in the water, Jesus is on the, on the bank. He has a nice little fire going. He's cooking some fish and some food with him. And so verse 9 you see it here. When they got there, got on shore, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish was cooking over a charcoal fire. The same phrase, that phrase there in the Greek, charcoal fire, it's only used one other time. And that other time was when Peter was under another charcoal fire when he was denying Jesus. There's some restoration coming on here. Jesus brought him back into time. Fishers of men, come follow me. We're here around the fire. There's some, there's some, you know, fish and some loaves, fish and loaves. Does that sound familiar to you? The feeding of the 5,000, fish and loaves and multiplying. You know, Jesus said, why don't you go feed them? You know, you're going to be fisher of men. You're going to catch them and you're going to feed them. So it's all around here setting up the thing, you know, setting up the whole morning by which after that breakfast, Jesus then directs his attention at Peter. Kind of like, Peter, we have some unfinished business here, some relational stuff that we just kind of need to kind of work on here. And so after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, let's go back to the basics, Simon, right? Let's go back to your childhood name. Just going to go back to the beginning. Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. And he says, okay, I'm not done with you yet. 
Go feed my lambs. Go feed my lambs. Jesus asks, says it a second time to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. And take care of my lambs. And he does it a third time. Third time. Peter denies him three times. Jesus comes in a third time. Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt, but Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, we're good. My blood covers you. We're, we're together in this. Feed my sheep. Be a fisher of men. You caught the fish. Go feed them. Take care of them. And Jesus said to him, hey, here's the deal, though. You're, there's going to be a time where you're going to, you know, um, this is really going to stretch you to whether you're really going to shrink back in shame or whether you're going to say, you know what? I will never, ever desert the one who loves me more than anybody, anybody else. I'll never desert and never be ashamed of the one who, 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 who's, who's more kind to me and cares about me forever and ever. I'm all in. And, and Jesus says, you're going to die, though. You're going to die. And, all right. Game on. Game on. In verse 19, then Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And then Jesus told him what? Follow the movement. Be part of the bandwagon. No. Follow me. The change in Peter's life and when he's dealing with this shame wasn't about whether he's part of the movement, whether people thought he was popular, being popular, anything like that. It came to a point where he just says, I love Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live my life with him. I'm going to live my life for him. Instead of trying to get everybody to accept me, I'm going to live my life for the one who already accepts me. Instead of trying to live my life, trying to get everybody to love me, I'm going to live my life for the one who already loves me. And when people are going to try to get me not to love him anymore, I'm not going to do it because there's nobody who loves me more than him. In fact, a few months later, John and Peter are out and they're talking about Jesus in the public square. And guess what? You can go and you can go read Acts chapter 4. Go read it. 5,000 people come to Christ. They are fishing people. And they caught 5,000 people. Just like when multiplying the loaves and fish. And 5,000 people there. And, and they're doing all that. And, and guess what? This is only months later. It's still the same high priest. It's the same Caiaphas. It's the same, you know, Annas. The same group who have them, and John and Peter come in front of them. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas. They were no longer outside hiding. They were now in it. And they begin to speak. And they begin to say to John and Peter, you can't talk about this Jesus anymore. And they say, we cannot stop talking about what we've experienced and whom we have seen. There is salvation in no one else, in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. And away we go. And so through their lives, the rest of his life, Peter never again was ever ashamed of, of Jesus because it was about Jesus, his love for Jesus. 30 years later, 
Peter wrote, wrote a letter that we are so blessed to have today. And in that letter that he wrote 30 years later, after, you know, that whole experience with Jesus, after that whole experience with his own experience with Annas and Caiaphas and the whole gang, he writes it to a bunch of Christians, and he says this to Christians. Hey, guys, in 30 years of being part of this, 30 years of doing life with Jesus, I still believe exactly the same 30 years later that there is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. There's no shame to be called by that name. There's nobody who will love you more. There's nobody who will care about you more. There's nobody who, who, will, who will go to bat for you more than him. There's no shame in being called a son of the living God. There's no shame in being called a daughter of the living God. He loves you tremendously. And Peter lived that out for the rest of his life because he had his eyes and focus on his relationship with Jesus. Paul said the same thing. He said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Because if I die, I'd rather be with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about a movement. It's just a movement that just happens with people who just love Jesus and just want to trust Jesus and follow Jesus and go love people the way that Jesus has loved them and to live this confident, free life of, of being a person who is glad to call, be called by the name of Jesus, by the name of Christ, Christian. In fact, Peter lived it, did it all the way to the end where he died. A martyr's death by just not being ashamed of Jesus. In fact, 30 years later after he wrote this letter, there was another gentleman that we have his writings, a first century writing of a Christian by the name of Clement. Clement um, was an overseer in the church in Rome and he was writing a letter to a bunch of Christians in Corinth just 30 years after Peter's letter there. And he says this to encourage the people of Corinth. Hey, let us set before our eyes the illustrious apostles. So look to their example. Peter, though unrighteous, envy endured not only one or two, but numerous labors. And when he had at length suffered martyrdom, departed this place of glory, departed to the place of glory due to him. These gentlemen, not just them, but all the Christians, women and men who were following Jesus in those early days. The reason why they did what they did was because they just loved Jesus. Jesus' movement and what he did hasn't yet turned into a religious movement, an organizational institution movement. It was a movement about following this amazing person named Jesus following somebody who loves them more than anybody else on this planet. You don't need to be ashamed of somebody who loves you like that. We're gonna sing a song here in a second. It's a song that, that Nate wrote. It's really all about the reflection that we are his. And that the greatest joy in life is just realizing that he loves us. And there's nothing better than being loved by Jesus Christ and to be called his. There's no reason any of us should walk out of here and feel ashamed of someone who loves you so, so deeply. And so in those moments when you may feel a little sheepish or a little weird that you're a Christian, just remember you're loved. Remember 
You don't need to be ashamed of somebody who's loved you so deeply. You are his. Father, thank you for making us yours. God, if we're honest at some times, we are embarrassed. Embarrassed that we are embarrassed of you. For whatever reason, we've, we've just, we're, we're more concerned in what other people think, and which is really weird because other people will never love us like you have. Nobody will ever be as kind to us as you are. So, Father, today we want to make the statement that we're tired and worn out of trying to be accepted by other people when we're already accepted by you, trying to be loved by other people when we're already loved by you. Let us be people who just have the joy of resting in the never-ending, forever love that you have given us and that we are yours. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.